Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Good Grow Great Podcast. I'm Talia Toha, and this is Great Lengths. This is the episode where we dive in to essentially high-level ways that you can learn from other people's mistakes, successes, failures, life, journey, right? Whether that's one year of their work, 10 years, 20, 30, and on and on. And today, I wanted to look at really what it would look like if we can all be successful and make a difference together. And in the spirit of really creating that massive momentum towards social impact, and if you have this calling to give generously or to really help change the world in whatever way, and yet at the same time, you also have that desire to share your skills and talents with the world, whatever that might look like, this episode is for you because today we're joined by Dina Saudi, and Dina is fantastic because I love her work. She has an investment company and consulting agency, but she also founded Seven's World, and she's also the mother of her two boys, whom she proudly shared about and talked about here, Hashem and Hamza. And Dina is also a proud member of Jordan's Queen Rania's Children's Museum Initiative and the Royal Health Awareness Society Initiative. So she's doing a lot of things. Of course, at the same time, she's juggling being a stay-at-home mom, but she's a businesswoman. She is obviously a giver as well. She's also the founder of Empowering Through. And she had spoken, participated, and was featured on TEDx, Forbes, TGN Magazine, Global Summit, Aspen Ideas Festival, and on and on. So I think if you ever wonder if you can have it all, we talk about that. We talk about should we have it all? Can we have it all? Do we have it all at the same time? Right? And if you feel like it's not enough, what you have is not enough, you don't have the ideal situation, right? The dishes is kind of going all over the place, or you have all these other interests competing for your time. Dina and I talk really, really just brutally about how this is possible. Um, and even when you feel like it's impossible, and of course it's not perfect, of course, neither of us are claiming so, but I want you to take a listen to this episode if you feel like you might be on your own when you're trying to achieve that great work that you so strongly deserves I think so definitely tune into this episode but before we do that be sure to hit that follow add collect subscribe download and save because we are about to dive in grow solvers let's do this Okay, Dina, I love having you here. I'm so excited to chat with you. Welcome to the podcast. And I would love actually to start before we go into your work in your three different businesses, your um, philanthropic work, right? And your work with the queen, uh, right? And all of these things, I want to actually go to the basics, which I think for me, this really resonates with me because 
I myself, as you know, have kids and you have kids as well. And I think a lot of people come to me when they are about to start something new or they're about to change their direction in their career, in their business. There's always that hesitation whether, you know, about whether or not they have time, right? Because they have the kids. Now, I know you have two wonderful boys and I want to ask you whether when you have these boys, did you ever feel that kind of, um, you know, hesitation, right, to continue to grow your business or start a new venture, right, or to take on different projects? So what was that like, if you can share with the audience? First, Thalia, thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have boys. I have a nine and a seven-year-old. Um, they're very, you know, the saying that we are very blessed to have those little boys, they're right. We are very, very blessed because it has a way of reshaping everything you've ever imagined life to be. You know, and pre-babies, post-babies, you can never unlearn what you've learned being a mother. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I say that, I mean, with all moms, probably like nothing or parents really, dads too, like, yep, yeah, you can't, you can't go back. Like it's just, just all of a sudden your heart is no longer inside your chest and you're constantly worried and thinking about people who are not you, you know, it's just, yeah. it redefines everything. So my nine, seven year old, uh, nine years ago. So you're thinking what's happened post the children, right? So uh, Thalia, with my work, I've always wanted to make this world a better place. And I know that sounds so cliche and everybody wants says that. But in my case, I mean, 36 years later, I still want to. So I never grew up, to, <laughs> grew yeah. up or yeah. maybe grew out of this dream. And 12 countries later where we're creating a lot of impact, believe me, I'm not done. And uh, the boys reinforced the reason why. And I think being a mother, you become much more aware of how not okay our world is. You know, like it's, it's just redefines everything, you know, like, and I, let's talk about basics. Are they fed? Are they hungry? I mean, when my boys are hungry, the world knows that he, everybody here is how starving they are. We all need to know just how hungry. So I'm just thinking that there are refugees that live 20 minutes away from me who don't have access to food. Mm. So it just redefines everything because all of a sudden I'm thinking my boys within like, I don't know, an hour, something will be cooked, they'll eat. And that, that will stop that anger towards the tantrum, towards we are hungry and starving will end. But for a lot of people out there, that is not the case. So everything is redefined, I think, in a way where it's more of a catalyst. I think having sons in my case, or children in general, will reinforce everything. Why do I do what I do? What am I doing? How am I really impacting this world? And what am I going to do to make sure that they live in a better world than this one? Because this is not an okay world. And I want more for them. Yeah, I think this is very well put because I think it's hard for us to almost get out of ourselves, right? Without the, um, you were using that word catalyst, without using or having someone else or in the service of other people, be it our boys, you know, our kids, or like you were saying, people who are homeless, people who have difficulty, people who are challenged, right? And I like that kind of clarity that, that you have. Although that being said, most people, even with that sort of anchor, often have doubts, right? Often have this kind of um, difficulty kind of staying in that really good anchor. And I think, um, I know this is probably for you now, you're you're trying to trace back a few years and trying to remember that state of being. But 
Was there ever like a moment when you had to choose almost, right? Um, but, or you feel like you have to choose. Maybe you don't have to choose, but you, maybe you feel like you have to choose between I'm, I'm going to be here for the boys, uh, but I want to also be here for whatever, this meeting, that event, that, you know, conference. Um, and if you do, share us what, what's that like to the audience? Because I know that for me, there are many moments when I'm like, oh, I can either do this with my girls or I can do this and help with it, right? So it's almost like you're having to choose between two good things. So uh, did you ever have a moment like that? Many moments as such. I think every parent has to have them. But for those who don't know, I'm based in Jordan. Jordan is in the Middle East and I was born and raised here, but then I went and lived in the U.S. for 15 years, hence the, I hope, regularly sounding accent that <laughs> you all understand. We understand. So, yeah. <laughs> great. That's 15 years in the U.S., of course. <laughs> I get the jokes too sometimes. Yeah. But anyway, so, so I, I mean, and in the U.S., it's a bit different than here. For a lot of people who do work, we have a lot more access to community and a lot more access to help. So when I was in the States, I didn't have my family around. So babysitting and giving my sister my child was not an option for me, even though a lot of my American friends did have, you know, their, their friends around or their family around and so forth. So, but let's go back. Let's all go back to talk about stories. I remember so many. I remember being in a very intense meeting with, uh, doesn't matter who from the royal family, when one of my kids decided the school called me and when the school calls you you get scared i don't care where you are in the world right (laughs) the school calls you there's there's this moment of silence and like lord what did my boy do but oh what happened to him and in my case uh, he had fallen down he was in like i don't know first or second grade fell down needed five stitches and i literally stood up and i apologized like i'm so sorry but i just i left and i it was such a clear message for me like my priorities are very clear I'm sorry, I'll choose my boys any day over anything that I'm doing at work. It doesn't matter who I'm with. It doesn't matter what kind of meeting I'm in. My boys come first. And if they need me, as in it's a case of an emergency, I'm going to be there. Does that mean that I'm always there? No, because I'd like to pay the bills, right? To make sure that they're actually going to go to school and we can actually feed them. So therefore, I very, I'm very aware that there are moments when I do have to make compromises. Like, for example, certain soccer practices or whatever, piano lessons where I'm sorry, the piano teacher is here she's great she's with the kids where they're secured but unfortunately in that hour I do have another investment meeting so I have to go so I'm good with understanding that there is what I color code things to emergency the red and other colors okay other colors that are not red it's allowed for me to do something else during that time that is called emergency for work to make sure that we we continue not declare bankruptcy, you know, like stuff like that. <laughs> so I'm very realistic. I mean there is no such thing as a balance. If anybody's ever going to think that there's going to be a balance between being a mom and being at work and being a friend and being a daughter and sister, no, you're going to make choices every single day. You're going to look at your to-do list, your task list, you're going to create one and that's how it's going to be and take it day by day, like never. And just because you had a bad day, for example, where you were much more mom than you were you know, at work or much more at work than you were a mom, then just make sure that you do better next day and whatever it is that you want just to empty sorry, to fill every like bucket or fill every, every one of those categories. But that's how I roll. I think that's how you do too, right, Talia? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, I, and I've, I'm so glad that you mentioned the, you know, the idea of balance because 
I think a lot of people, when they, they, they get attached to that word and they're like, oh, that means that everything has to be 50-50, which I, I completely disagree with because I think what you were just describing with that story when one of your boys you know, fell down and everything, it's really almost like a moving balance. So it's not like you're going to be in this kind of status for 100% of the time. You're constantly moving it around. And there are choices. And I think your point that I love is when you're color coding things, I think you are essentially, you know, consciously or unconsciously, you are really kind of making a different, making a, I guess, a a clear delineation between compromise versus sacrifice, right? Because that's not the same. You know, a lot of people feel like when they are a work from home parent or they're a working parent or they're just working and they have this other interest that you have to give up one thing for the other. It's like an all or nothing thing, which is completely, um, I mean, you can try to strive for that, but it's pretty inexistent, right? But rather understanding that choices, compromises, sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. I think that's a much more uh, enriching way to live a life, right? I think, which is something that I love. But I'm kind of curious because now your kids are at of that age, right? And that they're kind of a little bit older. They're, I think, seven or nine or whatever. And they probably now are starting to pick up that, okay, mom's doing this, right? And, you know, whatever. I, I'm doing this. And so when mom's doing this, I'm going to do this. And I'm kind of curious to hear, and this probably depends on the kids, but I'm kind of curious to hear if, you know, perhaps your kids are starting to to notice and you notice that they're noticing that your work is important, right? And I think I remember a time when my daughter was like, uh, and it's pretty recent because now she's of similar age. She kind of goes up to me and she's like, do you like work? And I say, I love work, right? And you had this philosophical conversation about why I do what I do because it's important to me. I'm helping other people. And it's almost like, you know, because we always say when we have kids and we start working that we want to show, kind of show by example, example by showing it, right? And so lead by example. And so now it's almost like the fruition of it is starting to come out. And I wonder if perhaps you're starting to notice that, okay, this is, you know, now the boys understand how, you know, how important this is, or maybe they ask a question or two about your work with the UN or whatever, right? So I'm wondering if that's starting to, and maybe not to the full extent, but maybe you're starting to kind of feel like, okay, now they they understand it. They're no longer like little people who just roam around, right? So So, so what I do, just to give everybody just a bit of information there, I'm an investor, so I invest in companies. And then we have a consultant agency that does a lot of digital marketing work for a lot of clients. And then we have a social enterprise that works in 12 countries, and that's where the proceeds go to the UN, and we work with the government, right? The Ministry of Tourism and so forth. But all that aside, I don't touch anything that I can't explain to my children. Like, I don't even want to be part of that. So there's so many moments when my kids have came to work, joined me in my meetings, or just were like, and, and we are storytellers, Talia. We are like, Mommy, this woman is in a refugee camp. This is what she does. She designs, she writes. Like this is a kind of conversation. And I want to make sure that they are part of all of that. And they've been part of all of that since they were babies. I mean, I've taken them to refugee camps. They've met the special needs. They've met everybody who's in my network. 
And I feel like that's something, and I say this with, with all my heart to every parent out there, I'm sure not everybody can bring in children to an investments meeting. And I understand I can't either. And in such cases, I usually don't, but I do like to explain that startup to my sons and try to explain to them why we should be investing in this startup, for example, because what the role is in the ecosystem, right? And so forth. So I'm very big on making sure you include children in the conversations because we are ultimately building the way they think to be part of the solution. Because with all due respect to all adults combined, at somewhere down the line, we really messed up. Hopefully the children have better ways of solving the issues we could not have solved. Yeah. And I say this with a lot of love, okay? So don't get upset. <laughs> So, yeah, I love that. Well, and I love that it's always been, you know, from the very beginning, you're like, I want my kids to be involved. And I think that's actually a very healthy approach because then they, they, they really understand from the beginning that, you know, it's, it's not enough to live for ourselves. Like it's, it's very important to be there to support whatever cause that you're supporting, right? Whether that's through investing in them, whatever, you know, the agency and everything. So I love that. I've always loved that that approach. Um, so you mentioned actually, you know, your uh, a couple of your your businesses. So let's kind of expand on that for a minute because I wanted to have the audience to kind of have a better understanding of the genesis of how all of that got started. Right? Which one comes first from all of your endeavors? Like, which was the first baby that you had um, business wise? Probably investments. I mean, I, my co-founder and I, we met around six years ago and we were sitting having, and I want to say the story. Can I tell the story? It's such a silly yeah. story. But Thalia, I think there's like these big words, you know, investor, co-founder, and these are big words for at some point a stay-at-home mom. I'm like, whoa, like I cannot be part of that world because that's so far up, like it's so far away from I- me. Right. And I, and I was always a serial entrepreneur. So that was always part of who I am. I started my first company when I was like, I don't know, 24 or something. I was always an intern and God knows how many startups in San Francisco. So that was how I rolled. Like this, I'm this kind of person, put me anywhere. I'll learn something and I'll do it. So anyway, I met my partner six years ago. We were sitting having, I don't know, coffee in a cafe. And three hours later, we realized we have so much in common and we wanted to work together. And that was the beginning of it. It wasn't like this extremely difficult pitch meeting with like, investors in suits I couldn't relate to. He was a friend who I could just connect with and I could talk to. And also we felt like we had so much in common and we wanted to work with each other. And I say this because it's almost so far fetched and it's not, you know, like anybody can start a company and anybody can have, be an investor too, by the way, you don't need to have millions of dollars to invest in a company. You can have $5 and choose to put that money into something that gives you a return. So please always realize that these kind of big words, entrepreneurship, startup scene, VCs, whatever, they're just terms. You can do it no matter who you are. So anyway, with my partner, we started this company. His family are the founders of our bank, which is the biggest bank we have here. So he is more familiar with the world of investments and due diligence and finance. And that's his background because he was there for such a long time. My master's is in social psych and my BA is in psych. So I'm I'm a people person. I'm somebody who's going to get to know people and figure that out. And somehow that worked, you know, I had all these different ideas. I was a serial entrepreneur. I understood startups and startups very, very well. So we just started off uh, working in seven circles. I mean, from the get-go, it was investments. Uh, we found our first startup to invest in like a few months after 
before I even office was ready <laughs> to accept. While we were still renovating the office, we found our first startup in another cafe or some sort of incubator around the business uh, park, which is where we work. So believe me, things happen. And they're called miracles when you look back, right? But when they're happening, they're just beautiful moments. Very normal, beautiful moments that can happen to all of you. And happen all the time. So, uh, and then we started with the consulting agency because, well, in this one, we needed marketing for the work that we were doing. So we actually hired a company, which means that we had the GM uh, or the founder join us and his team. And then uh, it's a beautiful surprise that the GM found the love of his life and needed to leave us. <laughs> or the company. Well, it's good for them, right? <laughs> right. So we wish him all the happiness in the world. Um, but we end up having to play a bigger role there and to make sure the team Actually, like we, we recruited more people, we brought in more, we look at the structure of all my partner, actually the co-founder Abdul Majid played the bigger role there. And today this company is doing really, really well. And with of course uh the founder slash GM is still playing a part of it, but not just uh, as dominant of a role as he did before. So, but that also happened with like, it should have been like the worst thing that happens. Oh my God, we acquire our company and then he leaves. But truth be told, we always find the ways to, to filling up the gaps. Like, okay, so now we have something new on our to-do list. Let's figure it out. Let's tackle it together. Let's find a way of making it work. And when it comes to the social enterprise, um, a few, I don't know, maybe like six or seven months into the first company, now that we're investors and we do what we do, uh, the World Food Program representative, one of the people who work there, came our way and she asked for a check, like private sector, you know, like support the World Food Program and the work they're doing here, feeding the hungry. So I really, it was a conversation like, are you open to actually working together on like a sustainable way? So that it's just not one check that we pay you, but we think together and how to continue making sure the World Food Program is paid across, I mean, over time. Uh, and she was, she was, she was a brilliant woman. Her name is Fatin. Um, and I still credit her for the, all the work that we're doing now in 12 countries, right? But we worked on a, the first, do you want me to tell you the story of how it started or? Yeah, just real briefly about how it started. I think that'd be great. Okay. And I like telling that story too, because even in that typical uh, email that I received of like, are you interested in giving a check? We decided to do more about it. Everybody I'm sure has been approached at some point with somebody who needed charity. But maybe if you take a second of your time and you know, like time is the most expensive thing that you can have. It is priceless. Even. Yeah. You can't even quantify time and how much it can cost. I mean, people do all the time, but truth be told, time is all we have. And then it's always leaving us and Anyway, so for me, like always, I like to give from what I have, my know-how and my time. So anyway, she was in our in our office. We were thinking together. We came up with the idea of coming up with a cookbook. She was very, she was like, okay, let's have a cookbook for the beneficiaries. I'm like, no, let's include your beneficiaries with the rest of the women in the country. Okay, because this way, that cookbook and the beneficiaries that you're calling refugees here, refugees, it's really tough place to be in. That's a really tough category. These are women who deserve to start and scale their businesses no matter where they are in the world. I mean, that's such, for me, at least, uh, this is me as an individual communicating, if anybody has an issue with that, sorry. But uh, but really, like, I wanted the women, all the women in the country to be represented in the same book, and I wanted those refugees or beneficiaries to look at themselves no different than any other woman in a country. And then I wanted the, um, the Ministry of Tourism to be part of it. I wanted it to be, like, where everybody's working, together to make sure that woman is seen, understood, heard, 
and she's able to learn how to start and scale her own culinary business. So this cookbook, uh, we had the culinary Academy, the one of the best uh, in this country to cook the meals. We brought the ingredients from like a local supermarket. We like it was all of a sudden everybody yeah. played a role. Like we called my friends at Med Labs, which is a lab that we have here to come up with the nutritional icons. We helped the women start and scale their own businesses, and then we tell we brought in the VCs to tell you how to do it, <laughs> like everything. And we we invested and we worked with Bulfuran, which is an app to allow these women to sell their work from home you know, whatever that they were doing. So it was really like, okay, as a community, what are we going to do here together? And because I'm not a chef by any means, I mean, I occasionally cook, but let's be, but, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, so for me, it was like, let's bring 54 women to share the recipes. (laughs) I think if I was great of a chef, that would have never happened. I would have wanted my own store, like recipes there. I'm not. So it was 54 women from the country, people with disabilities, different backgrounds, the expats in the country all share their stories and their recipes. Anyway, the book became a bestseller. Proceeds went to feed the hungry and it's helped women start and scale their businesses and is now being replicated in 12 countries. And aside the fact that we've worked on like workshops and programs and God knows what, right? And now, and then like three or six months after the first project, we had the UNFPA, another UN entity come our way wanting an art book. So we did an art book for the women, the artists in the country. We helped them start and scale their businesses too as artists, you know, selling their art and everywhere. And it's the same concept. Like every book you buy, proceeds go to charity. And then we help the women in the book to start and scale their business, no matter what talent they're sharing there. And then another one on healthy living for the yoga instructors and the how to care of your mind, body and soul. And this is, this was a beautiful book as it came out in the pandemic <laughs> very good links we did not plan it i promise good timing, but, yeah. but it was really exactly what we needed because we didn't realize how how each and every one of them whether she went through a cancer or she had or she was threatened she was in an accident or in one case one of the women she was bombed is you know really the bad but our version of 9-11 and jordan and she survived that so these women are heroes Talia, we're not talking about women who are, and, and, and with all due respect to all women, every woman I think is a hero on some level, but some women have been through hell and back and still found a way to tell their own stories and really move us. And I, I'm, I'm very big on the power of storytelling because I genuinely believe that the fact that we're not hearing from enough women today, we're not listening to them. I mean, we're developing programs about women, but we don't really go back to the woman who tells you, I don't want to leave my home. I don't want to go. Okay, so I'm telling you, I don't want to go. I don't want to leave my elderly parents. I don't want to leave my kids. And we're not designing programs to be like, ma'am, you stay at home. You do whatever you want to do. Do you want to cook? Fantastic. We'll make sure that you do more of it. Do you want to paint? Fantastic. We'll make sure you all, we sell your art. Do you want to write? What do you want to do? And how can we all work to serve you? So we do a lot of that. We used to work towards women. The most of our programs were towards women at the beginning because, you know, they're not part, they're not paid enough as we all know. Uh, And uh, we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Now we're working with a lot of more youth and men too, because we realize that, you know what, pain is pain. And this pandemic showed us that whether you're a man, woman, or child, you're going to be affected. Of course, more so for some more than others, but ultimately we need to support everybody as much as we can. Yeah, I love this this uh, story arc, because what it really showed me, and obviously shows the audience, is really that that power of, you know, just starting where you are and then starting with this 
uh, mission, right? Which is important to you. And it, it's almost like everything is organic. It's everything is on the fly, which I think the audience can take heart from because when a lot of times people get stuck and they're like, well, I don't know where to start. I don't have the connections. I don't have the money, right? All these things, when in reality, if you only look carefully, like everything's actually in our backyard, like you were connecting with you know, you're the partner that you just kind of connected on a personal level and it became something. And then it's originally the cookbook and then it became this other, you know, with all these women and then the pain. And right. So it's almost like um, I think a lot of people stand in this uh, soapbox and just say, you know, I don't want to do that because I'm not sure if that's going to work. But you have to have this uh, open eyes almost. Right. And be fearless in your mission. But uh, but also allow you know the process the methods to have almost this fluid, um, flexible capability which you've beautifully described. I love just that um, everything that you've done the impacting women and now the men and everybody. Uh, but I'm kind of curious, and I'm sure the the audience is curious about like when did the your work with um, you know the Her Majesty. Um, when did that start to kind of, uh, you know, appear, come about? Like, how did you get involved in that? So I don't necessarily work with Queen Dania. I serve on two of uh, boards of her initiatives. So Queen Dania over here, she has a massive, beautiful, amazing foundation had by a good friend of mine, his name is Basim, and sub uh, smaller initiatives like the Children's Museum and the Royal Health Awareness Society and I think it was three years ago when somebody called me and they were like, actually, no, four years ago, uh, I don't know. I was at the Children's Museum telling her I want to volunteer. <laughs> like the CEO, and I'm like, what can I do to support? My kids love this place. It's amazing. And I was so proud of it, you know, and I just wanted to volunteer and I wanted to support them. And then she asked me more about what I do. And then of like a few weeks later, I was called <laughs> by her and said, where she said, like, you know, Dina, you should know that we really want you on our board. I didn't know that I would have been, I am still the youngest board member. <laughs> and I got to do, yes, a little bit of that. And, you know, when it comes to Her Majesty's initiatives, I'm pretty sure her, her, I mean, she has a good group of people who double check and do the due diligence to make sure that she has the right people there. But, uh, it's an honor to do what we do. I'll tell you about the Children's Museum in a bit, but I want to go through a health awareness society. And that was pretty much the same kind of conversation where it's a funny story. I mean, like somewhat funny, but but the, the chairman of the board um, at the Royal Health Awareness Society he called me and he, and I thought he's my neighbor. I thought I blocked his car. <laughs> blocked with my car, blocked his gate. I don't know, did something like my neighbors do wrong, you know? So I'm like, did you need something? He's like, yeah, I need you on another board. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Sure. But Jordan is tiny and we all live beside each other. <laughs> like, yeah. so it was the intention behind the meeting. So, but anyway, the one who heads both boards is, of course, Her Majesty. And uh, on the board, um, on the board of directors of the Children's Museum and the board of trustees of the Royal Health Awareness Society, Children's Museum, they serve around 200,000 students and uh, children from across the country who come and visit. And it's really a wonderful space to educate your mind and think about what you can do. And my last uh, time when I was there, I was actually on Zoom with uh, students in Lebanon fourth graders who wanted to learn more about it so I took them on a tour and I promised them that they will be able to visit at some point I didn't know there were going to be a pandemic yeah. <laughs> in Lebanon, Lebanon but yeah. hopefully something I promise will come you know I won't 
I'll, I'll be able to actually see that one through and they'll be able to see it through too. And with the Royal Health Awareness Society, it has been doing a lot of work, especially recently with the pandemic, but they really make sure that the country remains to remain more healthy and they serve approximately like 6,000 schools. They're very big on making sure that there's awareness towards health and the importance of not smoking, for example, diabetes and all of what's happening there. And just like it's a universal conversation, especially post the pandemic. In this case, they were like talking about wearing masks, how important it is to be vaccinated. They've just done a lot of that kind of work. So it's an honor really to do uh, anything I can do. Uh, Usually my job is fundraising. And then I realized working as a board member that my job is to serve like exactly a service so where one of them calls me and they're they're both amazing ceos we're very proud of both of them they have amazing teams too but they really call me for like small things like big things like tina we need somebody like who's like a missing role in the organization yeah. and i think as a board member i mean your job is to serve them they're the ones who know what to do i always say this and i keep saying this because sometimes it's prestigious you know like oh you're on a board no it's not your job is to be there to serve the entity the organization and serve the people who are working there 24 7 are we're there just to make sure that we give them the cushion necessary to continue flourishing and my god they're flourishing so yeah Yeah, I love this kind of initiative that you keep taking. And I think it's definitely a recurring theme in this conversation, something that, again, I think the audience can really, truly learn from. I did meet Her Majesty on different occasions, of course, because we have a board meeting and I got to hear her and she's very eloquent and beautiful and strikingly powerful. And you feel that in her presence. But when I asked to volunteer, it was from Sosan, the CEO of the Children's Museum. <laughs> it's, it's for, like, I think that's, I think even the CEO, I think uh, it does help to kind of illustrate this because people say, well, I don't have, you know, the ability to connect with these people. Yes, you have. Like almost all of these people are now reachable, um, particularly in this day and age, right? Like however way, whether it's to have, to attend some event that they're really passionate about, like you did, or you happen to be there, whatever, um, or some other ways. There's just a multitude of ways to make things happen. So I think when people feel small, right, and they feel like what they have is not enough, I think your, particularly your work with the Children's Museum, right, all of these things, um, you can make a big impact, right, even if Perhaps for some of the audience, they feel like they don't, no one knows them who, who they are, right? Or no one would be like, yeah, I can use your help or yeah, I can um, let me work with you. So I think this is beautiful, really, really um, just beautiful. My babies, I don't know, were too young and I was doing like 12 loads of laundry in Chicago and I had like dishes with dishes, my God. And I was doing like the dishes, looking at like, I don't know, something like the same flower that I was looking at while doing the dishes and telling God, like, listen, either you give me the audience. And at the time I was a stay-at-home mom, either you give me the audience or share these ideas with, or please remove those ideas from my head. Yeah. You know, but but my thoughts were valid then, Talia. They were not different than the way they are now. And I'm now in board meetings and God knows what. But I was that mom just doing the laundry and, and doing the dishes. And I'm telling this to every human being out there, like just because the audience is not there yet does not mean that your thoughts are not valid. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I, I like that, that word yet. Right. And a huge underline highlight on yet, because I think you're absolutely right. When people, you know, when they feel like, Oh, that maybe this is not for me. 
a lot of it's because they're overwhelmed. Like you were, and the dishwashing anecdote, that is definitely something I've gone through that. Like I'm cooking, like everyone, like the kids are running around. I literally, I had a meeting, um, you know, a lot of people were there. I was leading it. And then my kid fell off the bike. And so I had to stop the whole thing and have someone, right? Like this whole chaos. And I think it's very easy for us to, to think that if it's not ideal, that it's not for me, which is actually incorrect. I like your insertion of yet, like just because it's it's not ideal yet or the audience is not there yet or, you know, you don't really understand how it's supposed to look like yet, you know, yeah. very important, right? Very important. So um, I like that. You're going to say something, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but before, before I just, I just want to say that I think we, unfortunately have miscommunicated something as people in the workforce we miscommunicated it where it became like we say big words you know and we call pitch deck big word it's just a presentation tell me what you want to do the problem and the projection or what it means like what do you think it's going to do in the next few years and give it to me you know like we don't make things so accessible for a five-year-old to understand so I understand when I had a friend of mine we were in soccer practice yesterday. And yes, I'm a soccer mom. And I go to kids, with the kids to the soccer practice. And she never worked a day in her life. I, was like, I don't know where to start. Of course, you don't know where to start because you've been a mom for the past seven years and nobody gave you the guidebook of telling you, dude, just show up, come over, just yeah. come, come, come to us any day, join. Because I'm sure if she was given that platform and that opportunity, she would excel. I mean, I know this woman, she's very good at with people. She's great at doing too many different things. And I don't even realize how much, if she was given the opportunity, she would surprise herself with how much she can do. Yeah. But you were going to say something and I interrupted. I'm sorry. Please no, that's okay. It. I actually would like to build on what, what you just said, because I, I think you're absolutely right. And now I think this is now the second time we brought up this the almost the disadvantage of big words because people use all these words, you know, like you were touching on investment. We were talking about return on investment, like, right. Like financial projection, all of these fancy words, which has a place I feel, but it does tend to kind of uh, overwhelm <laughs> our ability to just, just dip your foot in the pool. It's kind of like swimming. You have to just get in you're not going to be able to swim laps unless you first get into the water and just stand for a minute or two. You know? So I, yeah, I love that, that um, the really that self-awareness, okay, we have to kind of keep ourselves in check. Am I being held back because of these big words that I'm clinging on to as an excuse to not make an impact right in the world around us? I think this is so, so crucial. I was in the office, like, I think four years ago or so. I don't know. It was a while ago. And I did a pro bono workshop for moms with special needs children. So when I think to stick children in specific, I don't remember. But it was really not about their kids. It's about them working to start and scale their business, no matter what it is, and seeing what we can do. Pro bono, just sitting in the office, comfortable. Let's think. Let's do what we need to do. And then, like, two months ago, I received a gift. Uh, it was um, and I Anyway, a gift. It was uh, the board game for COVID, a pandemic of some sort. Oh, pandemic, the board game pandemic. Yes. I, well, it's called, it's, it's an Arabic name. I forgot the name, but it's the same concept, like how to deal with a pandemic. And it's a board game dedicated towards children, focused towards children to deal with all that's happening now. And a letter, a handwritten one that I still cherish from one of those moms who I did not talk to in years. 
who said, remember that day? Thank you so much for what you did. You connected me to the Children's Museum and now we're working together. And this is an example of the products that we're working on. Wow. Like that was, that was a moment. And I didn't even remember it, Talia, but that's just how it goes. And I feel like almost like I want to beg every human being who's, who's no longer afraid of living their dream to go back to those who are and just give them five minutes of your time, sit down there and explain to them that it's not that difficult after all, because you're doing it. No. So just sit down there and just be like, what can I do to serve you? Because it could be a connection. It could be an email. Just send over that resume somewhere. I mean, we're all connected. Once you're in that tiny bubble, we're all connected. So it's just, it's just amount of just that one step, just helping them with the one tiny step to open that door. So it's always everywhere I go, I'm like, what are we going to do to give from uh, what we have? So anyway, I just wanted to tell you that. I thought that was a story that would resonate. That was, yeah, that's a great story. I love that years later too, right? With yeah. the pandemic and her talking about this is what we're creating and she still remembers you. I think that's really fascinating. And I think we do tend to forget. I think your your point is superb because we tend to forget that, you know, yes, we want to help people, but we do forget that you can absolutely change someone's life in just five minutes, 10 minutes, whether it's, you know, like you were doing pro bono work or paid for work, it doesn't matter. But somewhere out there, there's somebody who needs something and you happen to have that little bit of skill set or talent or knowledge that can help them achieve it. I think you're absolutely right. It's so, so true. I do remember like even, you know, um, one of my students from years ago came to me and and they were like, I, I just need a way to be able to stay at home. Like I just need to make X number of dollars some more. And, and, and that's it. Like, and I remember that being, and I had a long week that week and it was really rough. It was really busy. I was just almost on my bed. Like when I received that message message, I just shot up. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Because I, because it's really, it's, it's one of those things like we're, none of us are here on this earth just for ourselves. A lot of us think that we are, but it's not the case. Is not the case. The only way we keep going is for other people. And I love that story that you had shared because so true, right? It's so true. I, I personally still remember few people who probably have forgotten about me who really changed their life, be it a teacher, right? Who for you, like uh, Dina, who's, who's your kind of, is it mom? Is it like a relative? Is it like somebody you read about? Like who are some of your people who you're like, you know, it, they really changed my my life. So in my case, my mom is incredible. So it was my dad and my grandma and my other grandma. I come from so many good, kind people, but I'm not going to talk about them. I mean, I love them. They're amazing. And yes, they've shaped my life. But I'm going to talk about a professor at university when I was in San Francisco. And uh, I am from Jordan, to clarify that to a lot of people, originally Palestinian. My great grandfather was moved to Jerusalem. I was born Muslim, okay, and I come from a relatively well. Jordan is not that conservative, but relatively conservative when compared to San Francisco. Even though I think the world is conservative when compared to San Fran. But anyway, so I'm there in university, and I have a transgender Israeli gay mentor or professor, and in his classroom. Talia in his classroom he's like I'm Israeli are you sure I don't be in this class and I'm like I'm Palestinian do you want me in yours because I was told all my life that there's no Israeli that's going to let me pass 
Like I would, I'm going to end up in that class and he's going to fail me because no Israeli will ever want to talk to a Palestinian. It's just, they hate us, you know, and vice versa, right? I'm sure the Israelis were told the same thing about the Arabs or the Palestinians. Anyway, this is when I was in my early 20s and 36 years old now. And Avi Benzi, previously Talia to Avi, was a man who changed my life. He was so kind, so giving. He taught me so much. He was my mentor in graduate school also. And he was so realistic and open and real about who wasn't kind in his life. And he had a lot of people who are, it's his story to share. So I'm not going to share his too much into his story, but it was just the fact that we were able to relate on so much where I realized, you know what? I've been told so many things growing up, but I'm going to make my own choice here. And I'm going to be human first. And yeah, of course, there are Israelis who are doing really terrible things in the world, as are some Arabs, as are, and so forth. But you know what? You tell me who you are. If you're somebody who's kind, I'm going to believe you. And if you tell me that you're not kind, that's fine. I'll judge you after I get to know you. Because I felt like he opened that door for me where he let me love him and he loved me back, you know, and he shared who he was with me and his stories and his thoughts. And he mentored me so much. And I, even when I wrote my thesis, I mean, what, what I wrote there was like, if the world could learn from this professor, we'd be living in a better world. And I still mean it. Like we should all be attending his class. He just had so much to teach us all. And I understand that they're big words. Like it's hard, transgender, gay, Israeli, for like somebody who's from a Middle Eastern background, Palestinian, Muslim, Jordanian. But when you take a second to just remove those titles, remove those categories and just see people as human to human, you'd realize that we have a lot more in common than we have differences. And then you find that love really can be unconditional and kind. And the only way through to building a better world than this one is to actually give people a chance to tell you who they are and to love them for who they are without judgment. Yeah, I love this. I mean, I think also just the example that your professor had shown, right, that, okay, by extending this, this kindness, right, this care, so important. And I think um, to, to your point, it's so easy to just kind of go on day to day and almost like in an automatic way, thinking that our actions don't really matter to other people. But it's kind of like one of those things almost like I remember, I don't know if you know, this ever happened to, to you and where you are, but I remember actually one time I went up to a drive-thru in Starbucks. Okay, for people who hate Starbucks, don't hate me. I got kids. It was a really manic day and I just, I drink no it. judgment from my behalf. Go on. I just want a vanilla latte. Go like, on. It's fast. You know, it's there. So I pulled up, right? I pulled up at the, at the drive through window and the cashier said, um, the person in front of you had paid for your uh, bill, right? You paid. Yes, it's so kind. I love those little small acts of kindness. And then, of course, you know, we extend it to the person in the back and hopefully the person behind that keep going. And it's just, I mean, my day was like, you know, it was a hard day to begin with, but then immediately it lit up, you know, these small things. But in your case, that professor really changed the way that you kind of, oh, okay, there's this kind of, you, we can, we can change your attitude. We can reframe it. And regardless of everyone's opinions or whatever it is, um, let's take it down to the level of humanity. Like, what does that look like to love one another? right? And to support one another. I love that. That is so fantastic. 
And I, and I love that with the pay it forward. Of course, I've been, I love them and I love the post-its. Do you ever get a post-it where somebody where they see that you're having a bad day and they put a post-it besides your, you know, your wherever you were and like, you're going to be okay, don't worry. Or there was a woman I heard about who was cleaning in the mall in Chicago and somebody just left her money right there and she's like but who left me money i'm like i don't know and then all of a sudden it didn't really matter for that person to be acknowledged or to be thanked that person made her entire view on life be different because that mean that meant anybody could be that person who left her some money to take care of her so it's just redefined like those moments of being kind and and i think there are some people in the world that are more creative and like they're, if they were kind today they want to be even 10 times more kind tomorrow and yeah. those people they're the they're the unsung heroes of the world. You know, there is the, the world, the people we're supposed to be celebrating because yeah. they really do keep us going. And yeah. so, you know, so I, I really wish them all the happiness. I hope that they're listening now and thinking, you know what? I'm not alone. There are people like me in the world. And yeah, I want to be kind because in a world that can be super cruel to choose to be kind, all power to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is, and it's so true. Like, I think you, to your point, they're definitely unsung. There are a lot of people who had helped me along the way. You know, I remember even back in college, I was, you know, it was midterm week. It was a lot of things. And then a friend brought like some salad and it was just, I didn't have time to get um, lunch. It was just awesome. Like I just love, and those are the things that we remember. We don't quite remember like, you know, again, even what exam that was for me. <laughs> I didn't remember the bad day that I had before I got that Starbucks paid forward, right? And it's just interesting how we tend to remember the things that um, that were good that was done to us, or we tend to remember or we tend to regret the things that we didn't do, right? That's That's the other thing. Like we tend to regret, oh, I wish I had paid that person a visit. I wish I had, you know, paid a little closer attention when they said that, you know, sit down with them or whatever. Like to me, that was the case. And I know that you've done all these wonderful work, Dina. And I wonder if perhaps there were like moments of regress here and there that you're kind of like, well, I could have, you know what, it could have been better, <laughs> you know, like it could have been this. And of course it's always could have, should have, would have, but, um, you know, from a lot of times I shared those moments when I kind of failed to acknowledge something or failed to move something forward that was positive, because then the audience can be like, okay, I'm going to keep a lookout now. Now that Talia shared that story, I'm going to keep a lookout for, um, you know, a little bit more intentionally working towards this or something, right? Like, so all, were there moments perhaps, and I know that this is a big topic, but perhaps moments, you know, in your life or in your business and your endeavors, um, as you help and impact other people where you kind of go, oh, I could have maybe taken it a step forward or further down the road or whatever. Share with us what that what that's like. I mean, you said that and you know, you immediately have a flash of what you want to say when somebody says something to you. And my, um, I had two surgeries in my finger. I can move just mine. I can move myself. I'm fine now. I'm not. I don't need anything anymore. But there was an accident when I was um, in my 20s and the art easel, is that what we call it, uh, closed. Uh, so I used to paint for those who are curious. I don't paint as much anymore. <laughs> but anyway, but I do love art and I appreciate art. 
So it's interesting because I don't cook. I worked on cookbooks because I don't paint anymore. I just work on art books. I think it's yeah. my way of, it's a call for like, okay, I don't, I'm not doing it, um, but I appreciate all those who do. But anyway, so, um, so I needed to go to a, a doctor, a surgeon, just to double check that I'm okay now, able to be okay. And he added, uh, he just he added a needle sorry for being a bit graphic it was just really not comfortable <laughs> there was a bit of pain and during that time when I was in a little bit of pain not too much pain don't worry been through pain before this is not it uh there was a man an elderly man who came and he's like you need to give me some money right but I was late to the appointment and I needed to just check and it was just so much is happening and immediately when you mentioned this like my mind went to that elderly man and the fact that I didn't stop I didn't stop to check in and ask if he's okay or not. Didn't stop to give him uh, cash. And, and this pandemic made it so hard because all of a sudden, I mean, like we were having ice cream, the boys and I, and there was this elderly man, another one. Again, I live in the Middle East in Jordan. So unfortunately it's flooded these days with the amount of people who are not okay, right? Uh, and I was in San Francisco. That's a different story, but similar case there. But uh, one of the one of the boys wanted to take some dollars, you know, or JDs and just give it to them, the man who's there. And I'm like, no, mom, it's the pandemic. You have to wear a mask. And he has to be in a mask. And, and then my son looked at me and he's like, you know what? Fine. Then I'll just put it beside him, mom. But he will have the money anyway. And I realized in that moment that my seven-year-old was kinder than I am. You know, and I, I want to learn from him because he's right. He found ways, even in the midst of a pandemic and his mom was scared sometimes to just figure out a way to still give back. Even if, even if it was really scary to, to talk to those who don't have the masks, on, you know, or we don't really know if they're sick or not. So, right. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, yeah. that's an amazing story. And I love that your, your son had the kind of wherewithal to, to really think, you know what, it's more important that we do this. I, I love that. That's so great. And great boys, Talia. They're, yeah. so, yeah, they're so smart and they're very funny, but you know, yeah. I think yeah. mom, you know, maybe well, we just, you obviously, obviously you taught them well. Right. And it's almost like, you know, kind of a, um, a, they've become sort of the sounding board for you when you're perhaps unable to kind of, okay, I can't go there. Like they're like, yeah, but this is your principle that you taught me. So let's do it. I love that. That's amazing. It's a great. I know it was one of those moments where like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. And it's, yeah. So again, like I think regrets for me, I'll, I'll, and I want to say this just as a general conversation regarding regrets. I think it's really hard to live with regrets. So for me, I'm very aware, like it's a checklist. Today, yeah. I feel good about this. Fantastic. I'll do a better job tomorrow. Because yeah. I don't want to be weighted down. You know, like we're already so exhausted doing what we're doing. And if we're going to talk about regrets, I mean, we have so much in our past, but I really believe in living in the present. Don't live in the future. Don't live in the past. Whatever happened, happened. All you have is today. So you can do something about it today and then feel good about it if it's to, to like give, in this case, the elderly man who I didn't give. And then and I allow myself and forgive myself for all the mistakes that I haven't done. And I'm sorry, I'm human. I'm very flawed. And I come with accepting that, you know? And I feel like everybody else should too. Take a moment and say, I'm human, I'm flawed, and it's okay. I'm sorry, it's okay. And I'm going to be better today. And I'm going to be better tomorrow. That's it. Yeah. And let it go. Let it go. Whatever yeah. it is. You know, I meet a lot of people who are suffocating and I'm sure you're the same way where they're like, there's something and it's stuck here and I can't breathe. It can't breathe because you're not taking a moment to process that pain. Take a moment, go through it, feel it, 
process it and let it go. Talk to anybody. And I and Avi, my professor, said this to me. You may not, and I love it. You may not have, you not may not, may not be hurt by your family or your friends, and you may be hurt the most by those in your small circle, but it could be a stranger who ends up loving you. Take it, take it from that stranger and let that stranger heal you because it's how it goes. Some people are in your life for a lifetime. Some people are in your life for a moment, but those moments will change your life. Let them. Yeah, this is, I love that advice because, you know, I think, to your point, when you talk about letting go of regret, regret is kind of one of those things that you're like, well, would I regret not doing this? Would I regret doing this? But when we ask ourselves those questions, we're not really living quite in the present. As you say, we're like, oh, will my future self regret this? Will my future self not regret? Right? So we're almost like, while we are in the present, we're thinking for our future self, which isn't all bad all the time. Of course, you have to think about your future, but it does kind of, if that overshadows the present and, and keeps us from going, okay, what is the right thing to do right now for this moment, for that person, with that person, right? It just kind of, and we've all made mistakes when when we when we're present presented with the situation, including myself, right? Because we we don't quite have that compass of, you know, it's this is it. Like this day is all we have. This minute really is all that we have. Next tomorrow, not guaranteed, you know. And uh, I love that that kind of words that you had uh, shared from from your professor about, you know, really loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have great teachers in your life, which is great. Even a philosopher uh, son, which is also really, yeah. And I find my mentors everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, that's, that's the thing too, though, right? Like, I think a lot of people go like, oh, I want mentorship from like X. No, you can really learn from pretty much everyone, including people who maybe perhaps you don't necessarily admire, you don't align with. But what are they doing that aligns with you? What are they doing that don't align with you and why? It really still helps all of us to discover something about ourselves and the type of life that we want to create. And I think what you've done beautifully, clearly, is that you you really have this, um, you know, almost like a sponge-like quality to just, okay, these are kind of the sources. I'm going to filter it. I'm going to make my choices. I'm going to see what's good for me. And I think not enough people do that. And this is so important if you want to have success impacting in anyone else, you know, in, in this life. I think that is so true. You have to have um, almost like a student-like kind of quality constantly, right? No matter how successful you are. I love that. That's so great. Which, uh, which university did you go to in San Francisco? I don't think we've ever talked about that. So I was in a private school and I in in back in school. And then that's a longer conversation about my life became a little bit challenging when I was 17. So I lost my scholarships to the Ivy Leagues and I ended up in a state university. I went to South West State and their nice. school, graduate school. And I that's a different topic, which is maybe if we ever do this again, yeah. about what it means to completely have your life go upside down work and at the time you know I was a teenager who was a straight A student who did it. I mean everybody knows when you want to have an Ivy League university how much you work so yeah. the fact that I was able to even graduate from school I mean it was really like uh, it changed everything for me I would like to inform everybody that we work with a lot of the universities now that I believe wants to don't worry yeah and 
uh, I say this in every everywhere I go. It's it's really like make sure you don't you take a moment. It's going to be hard to lose a train. It's not, it's going to be really really hard when a door shuts so so in front of you where you there's no way out. You know where it's it's just dark, right? But take a moment to realize that even that is happening for a reason. And I promise you, 36 years of living, um, I did lose my scholarships to these universities, but that did not stop me from working with them in the future and also did not stop me from living my dreams. And had I not ended up in that state university where I understood people's stories who've been through hell and back, probably I wouldn't be who I am today or as a fraction as successful. I learn from everyday people. They taught me to do all that I do. I owe them everything. Yeah, this is, I think this is phenomenal. And what a great way to sum it up, because I think, um, you know, to your point, there's always a reason for something to happen. Maybe if it even just gives us clarity, right, about, okay, this is what I want, this is what I don't want. And to, to your point, if you had ended up in, you know, X, Y, Z places, Perhaps your journey would have been completely different. You're not doing what you do right now, which is going to be a shame. You know, like, so this is, I, I'd say, circling back to that point of regret, I say, you know, almost you have to look at things from the perspective of you, you are a function of everything that you've done, including the bad stuff, including things that you maybe not, um, were not so keen to have gone through. I love that. What a great way. To sum it up, Dina, amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I want to share with the audience real quick where they can learn from you some more, you know, follow your story, and and then we'll wrap it up. Thank you, Thalia, for this, for being who you are. Let's take a second to thank you for being who you are in the moment that you. you are. I don't know if you take enough moments to just thank yourself for being who you are. You're way too kind. <laughs> it's true. And look, and it's, it's, it's taking you a second. You get flustered like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. You're right. Because we don't compliment uh, each other. We don't talk about, we don't give each other like gold stars. You know, back in the days when we were young and somebody would give us a gold yeah. star, we don't have moms and dads. And I think we should. Yeah. And you can call whatever you want that gold star to be, you know, is it a beer or do you want to go somewhere? Else? <laughs> yeah. Spa. But we deserve them. We deserve moments of just like big hugs and, and thank you. Yeah. Self-appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I can be, I mean, LinkedIn uh, if they want or websites available, emails, these days Clubhouse, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, wherever they want. I'm approachable. I'm available. Come visit me in Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, Dina? One day I will go. This is Jordan is in one of my lists. I mean, there's so many places. The minute the world opens and I'm just going to like start planning. I mean, it might be a few years before I get there, but, but you're going to be, yeah. It's so, I'm so thrilled because now I'm like, okay, I really want to go now because of what happened, you know, the past few years for sure. Now you're kind of like, okay, I want to go visit. So definitely um, anyone who wants to go to Jordan, you know, go to Jordan. It's a beautiful country. I know this because I've had friends who've gone there and came back with just, you know, their, their face lit up, you know, it's just, it's just a transformation. So it's definitely worth it. But Dina, we're uh, sadly out of time. So thank you so much again for being on the podcast. I truly enjoyed listening to you, your journey, all the good work that you've done, helping impact other people's lives. And uh, But thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge, insights, uh, and everything that you do with our audience. And with that, 
Um, be sure, you guys, audience who are listening, be sure to hit the follow, subscribe, add, collect, and uh, tune in for more interviews like Dina's. And I'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Dina. Thank you.